when I began to start thinking and studying about what we're going to talk about over the next few weeks, I just felt we're in budget planning time and we're getting ramped up in that area of ministry to, to decide what we're going to spend, how we're going to spend budget for the next ministry year. And I know that stewardship is kind of a, a touchy subject on some areas of some people, but you know, when we start really looking at what the scriptures say, Jesus talked more about that as second to salvation and so I think it's worthy of us discussing it in detail. I was re- reminded of a story that I read several years ago. It was about these two men that were shipwrecked on an island. And the minute they got off the, off the boat on the island, they began screaming, we're going to die. We're here, this island, there's nobody on this, in this island. We are going to die. There's no food, there's no water. One man was screaming at the, t- at the top of his lungs, there's no water, there's no food, we are absolutely going to die. The second man, he just found a beautiful palm tree and sat down and started leaning up next to it and just took him a little rest right there. He didn't say a word. And the other guy looked at him and said, man, you're crazy. Don't you understand we're going to die? And the man leaning next to the palm tree calmly looked at him and said, you don't understand. I make $100,000 a week. He said, you, what, what, you don't understand. What good is that? You're, what, you, you, what good is making $100,000 a week? We're stranded on this island. We have no food. We have no water. No one knows where we are. The second man, leaning against the palm tree, calmly looked at him and said, you still don't understand. I make $100,000 a week. I tithe 10% of that $100,000 a week to my church. Believe me, our pastor will find me. (laughs) I'm not here to, to tell you that I'm looking at where your resources are, but if you're not tithing, I will find you, to be quite honest with you, amen? And when I started really thinking about, and I was thinking about looking back over the years of the great history of this great church, First Baptist Church, if you're a visitor here today, First Baptist Church is a very generous church. It has been very generous and has been known to be very generous over the years and it continues to be and on my watch will always be generous. I believe beyond a shadow of doubt that is why God has blessed and sustained this church. While our numbers may not physically look like we're sustaining, but we are. And the best is indeed yet to come, in my opinion. I believe if you notice our lesson today, our sermon today, the the title of the sermon is Giving More, A Story of Life, Love, and Lordship. If you look at the message truth just under that, giving more than expected guarantees more than expected. You say, wow, that is a strange line. But I want you to notice what it says, giving more than expected Going above and beyond the call of duty guarantees more than expected. Malachi 3 verse 10 says, the New American Standard Version, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. Test me now in this, says the Lord of hosts, and see if I will not open up the windows of heaven for you and pour out for you a blessing until it overflows. Get under the windows of blessing is what he's asking us. Bring the whole tithe, not a portion of it. Bring the whole tithe unto the storehouse. 
For a Jew to give more under the law is a simple tithe than a Christian gives under grace is disgrace to grace. If Jesus exceeded the law in everything he said, taught, or did, how can it be that this includes everything except the most important thing in the Christian life, the stewardship of our possessions? On that basis, on that basis, Matthew chapter 6, verse 21 says this, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. These two are inseparable. You cannot love God with all your heart and not love him with all your treasure. Two entire books of the New Testament, 1 John and the book of James, were written to say that our actions validate, actually validate the reality of of our profession of faith. We can talk a good game, but unless we live out that game, it's all talk. Our good works do not contribute to our salvation, but they are a major authenticator of which validates the reality of our salvation. Jesus, if Jesus paid it all, and by grace we are saved through faith, not by our works. We talked about that last week. We are only saved by the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. We cannot do enough good things to earn our way to heaven, but faith indeed without works is dead. Faith produces no works is empty, but faith that produces good works demonstrates that wonderful saving grace faith that we have in our life. And what is the most difficult of all human works for believers is the giving of their money. We make a little money, we want to hang on to a little money. Now, I want to go ahead and declare something to you folks. We're going to talk about stewardship, and that has to do with money. But it has more to do with our lifestyle than it does with our checkbooks. Because our checkbooks will always follow the way our lifestyle lends itself. Is it not therefore where we, where we are, our, reflect, our, fix, our reflection, excuse me, our affections are lie most significant indicator in our relationship with Christ? We can see that by looking at someone's checkbook. Now, I'm not going to ask you to open up your checkbook here today unless God tells you to open up your checkbook. And just pour it out. That's okay. We'll accept it. Amen. And we will accept it. Amen. The finance folks are saying, shaking their head. Absolutely. We are not going to turn it away, but we're not here to beg you. What we're here to ask you to align yourself with what the scriptures teach, what the Bible actually said. You know, there's over 2,250 verses in the Bible that speaks about money. 2,250. I did not read every one of them, but I did a word search and there's over 2,250 verses that concern money. More is said in the New Testament about our relationship to possessions than is said about prayer, about hell, and about faith all combined. If you combine all three of those subjects, there's more talk about money than it is about that. The number one theme of the parables in our relationships is our possessions. Stewardship is the number two theme in the New Testament, second only to salvation. You would think if if Jesus talked a lot about money, we need to discuss it as well, amen? The only people that I have found that really get upset when we preach on money or talk about stewardship and that, those are the people that don't give. That's the people that I get hate mail from. So if you want to send some hate emails, it's been at FBC. No, no, just kidding. 
Don't send it to my dear brother. He's saying, bring it on. He knows what we're talking about. He knows it's biblical that we stand up and stand firm on this. Folks, let me tell you something. The ones who get most upset about it are the ones who don't give. And I, I've done some studying over the last few weeks about if every one of us, and in, in, in wrapping this series up, we'll get to that statistical analysis. If every one of us just gave, we would never have budgetary needs whatsoever. Giving 10% is, was indeed under law. And does, does, and does the principle of exceeding the law apply to everything except the main thing? I think not. 10%, that's just starters. That's just for starters. That's just to kind of get us going. I've come to the understanding over my lifetime, if I can't live on 90%, my goodness, I'll never be able to live on 100%. Folks, it's, it's, it's just, let's get honest about this stuff. The gospel is indeed free, but let me just put it to you from the, the secular vernacular. It takes resources to present the gospel around the world. There is a freight charge to it. The gospel is free. And it's free for anyone who wants salvation. But it takes resources for us to ramp up this building. It takes resources for us to, to do the work of the Lord around the world. Stewardship preaching, that, that's some of the things that are not happening in some contemporary models today. Some contemporary churches, they want to be more seeker-friendly. More important, they, they, they want to kingdom-friendly to ignore. They, don't want, they want to ignore the whole idea of that. Folks, let me tell you something. I want to be biblical-centered. I want to stand firm on what God's Word has to say. I'm not concerned about being seeker-friendly. We're going to be friendly. I promise you, on my watch, we're going to stay friendly. We're going to welcome guests. We're going to do everything we can to present this message of grace and hope and peace and love all around this community and around the world. But folks, we got to get honest about our resources. Our sacrifice, much, much blessing on the lives of our people when we fail to teach on the second most important prominent theme in the New Testament we will never fully understand the blessings that we will receive until we get it. Nor will we ever continue to grow as a church until we surrender to the lordship of stewardship. Meaning he's got to have the complete control of our lives. Matthew 6 verse 19 through 21. I love what it says. Don't, don't collect for yourselves treasures on earth. Where moth and rust destroy. Where thieves break in and steal. But collect for yourselves treasures in heaven. Where neither moth nor rust destroys and where the thieves do not break in and steal for where your treasure is there your heart will be also our relationship to his possessions is inextricably bound up in his relationship to the heavenly father and our relationship with him we're going to look at a character in the bible today that many would probably overlook but as I was reading over the last several months and actually this year, I read through this and it, well, it just leaped off the page. It's the story of Rebecca. So if you brought your Bible, and I hope you did, Genesis chapter 24, verses 12 through 15 and verse 19. I'm reading from the New International Version translation because I love the language of NIV, this, this particular text. But notice what it says. Then he prayed, O Lord... O Lord, God of my master, Abraham, give me success today and show kindness to, me, my, to my master, Abraham. 
See, I am standing besides water. May it be that when I am to say what, I, what when I'm to say to a girl, please let down your jar that I may have a drink. She says, "Drink, and I will water your camels too." Now, if you've got that underscore, if you got a pen, underline that because that's very, very important. Drink, and I will water your camels too. Let let and let her be the one you have chosen for your servant Isaac. But by this, I will know that you have shown kindness to my master. Before, verse 15, before he finished praying, Rebecca came out with her jar on her shoulder. And after she had given him a drink, she said, I'll draw water for your camels too. Underline that, guys. I will draw water for your camels too until they have finished drinking. Now, this no-name servant was going out and looking for a spouse, a wife for Isaac. He'd been sent out to go find a wife. This silence of God sometimes is, is even, sometimes even as significant as the sayings that God has to say. And I want you to see the silence in this. Now, understand something. I did some research. I have a veterinary friend of mine, and I, I called him up. I said, you know anything about camels? He said, what in the world are you, what are you talking about? I do dogs and cats. I said, did you do camels when you were at Auburn? He said, we didn't have any camels in Auburn. But he said, I know a little bit about them. I said, tell me about camels. What can they do? He said, well, they're goofy looking for sure. I said, well, tell me something about them. How much water can a camel drink on any given sitting? He said, a, a, camel, a camel can drink up to 50 gallons of water. They can hold up to 50 now, hang on to this, 50 gallons of water. Now, let me tell you something, five gallons in a bucket, and she had 10 camels here. She's pouring out, toting, 50 gallons of water. Now, guys that are single in here, if you're looking for a spouse, find you one that can tote 50 gallons of water. That's a good woman, amen? Amen? I, 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 think that's the, I think that's biblical right there. Find one that can carry the water. And that's exactly what she says. Drink and I will water your camels too. Let, it, let, let her be the one you have chosen. So I started thinking about it. I got two questions for us to answer today. What motivates a person to give? I think there are about seven things. Uh, verse, Acts chapter 20, verse 35. Remember the words that Jesus, the Lord Jesus that he said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. I think there are seven. There may be more. This is not an exhaustive list. This is a list that the Lord kind of put in my heart. But I think there are seven main things. And you've got them on the screen. Number one, passion. People give out of passion. They give to passionate things. They give out of passion. Number two, they give out of uh, affiliation. They're connected to something. If you're connected to a local church, usually if you're saved by his grace and you understand the, the principles of tithing and giving offerings, you give to that. If you're affiliated with something, I know some people who give back money to the university that they went to or to the, to the seminary or to the master's program that they went to. They're affiliated. So they passionately give to that. They passionate, they give because of their passion. They give because of their affiliated. Sometimes they give because it's traditional. I'll never forget growing up in my parents' home every Sunday. 
Saturday night, my dad would gather up his Bible. He, when he'd gather his Bible up, he would gather his Bible, his Sunday school quarterly, he would get everybody's Bible, and he would sit there and he would write the tithe check, and he would get out that, that envelope, and he would put the tithe check in the envelope, and he would place it in every one of us that had done our chores, we'd earned our income, so we'd put our tithe in our envelope, and that tradition was passed on to us. In fact, the matter is, that's when Deb and I do ours is on Saturday night and we get it ready for the next day to give our tithe to our home church, Brick Hills, as well as here that I tithe here at First Baptist. So it's a tradition. Some give it from inspiration. Some amazing communicator, some amazing preacher. Dr. Ben stands up and gives a phenomenal sermon and you get inspired. And so you get your checkbook out and you write this $10,000 check and you get so excited about that. And we get excited because you got inspired about that. Amen? You see, why does a person give? They give because of passion. They give because of affiliation, tradition, inspiration. They give out of obligation. Now, folks, if you're giving out of obligation, maybe you need to check your heart, but some people do give. They feel obligated. They're part of this organization. They're part of this ministry. They're part of this plan. They're obligated to do that. Maybe you signed one of those pledge cards back in the day when we were building buildings or something of that nature and you felt, oh my goodness, I got to, I'm obligated. My name is on that pledge card and you feel obligated, but you're fulfilling your obligation as well. So what motivates people to give passion, affiliation, tradition, inspiration, obligation? Some, because we invite you to give. And many of you have been, set, have been sitting in those, uh, those services where we bring a guest preacher, an evangelist type person or a revivalist to come in and preach or a conference and, and we're gonna take a love offering and so we invite you to be a part of their offering. I was taking a love offering in one of my former intentional interims up in Alabama and we had what they call the Monday night madness uh, services once one Monday night a month, uh, one Monday night every Monday night during the month of August and we had a different speaker coming in. And so, I would get up and the preacher would preach and I would take the offering and I would say something like this, every dime that you give to this man's ministry while he's come to preach, every dime, the expenses have been taken care of by the church, this is a love offering, so I invite you to be loving him with all your heart. And every person that comes to faith in Christ, every person he encourages in the faith, you will have the blessing of being a part of that because of your invitation because I invited you to get in on that. So sometimes we give because of invitation. My good friend Ted Trailer down in Olive Baptist Church in, in Pensacola, we had him in the preaching. He, he told me, he said he'd never heard anybody, anybody give an invitation to give like that. He said, I want you to come to my church every Sunday and take up the offering at my church. Well, folks, let me tell you something. We, as communicators, as preachers of the glorious message of Christ, we invite you to be a part of this. So people are motivated by different areas. Maybe the invitation has not been extended to you. And some give because they're motivated to give because of a transformation. Maybe God just radically transformed your life and your heart, reached down and gloriously gave you the gift of eternal life, and you can't wait to give back more to him. These are some of what I call motivations for a person to give. But in the text that we've read today, what principles of giving can we learn from the life of Rebecca? 
Genesis chapter 24, verse 21, without saying a word, the man watched her closely to learn whether or not the Lord had made his journey successful. I think there are several things that we can learn here today in the life of Rebecca as a good steward. First of all, you can't be generous without and be legalistic at the same time. You cannot have a generous heart and then put a price tag on the end of it. You can't be generous and legalistic at the same time. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 7. See that you also excel in this grace of giving. You can't be generous and legalistic at the same time. Secondly, you can't walk the second mile until you walk the first mile. If someone forces you to go one mile, go with him Two miles, Matthew chapter five. You can't be generous and legalistic at the same time. You can't walk the second mile until you take the first step in the first mile. Thirdly, extra blessings, extra blessings are the result of extra effort. Now look what the message, listen to the message. I don't preach from it, but I love the language of the message Bible in Luke chapter six, verse 38. Listen to what it says. Give away your life until you find life given back, but not merely given back, given back with bonus and blessings. Giving, not getting, is the way. Extra blessings are a result of extra effort. When we go the extra mile in giving, we get extra blessings. Stewardship has nothing to do with finances. It has everything to do with lifestyle we receive more than we ever thought possible when we give extra we receive more than we ever thought possible in our story genesis chapter 24 down to verse 53 notice what it says then the servant brought out gold and silver jewelry and articles of clothing and gave them to rebecca You see, she went the extra mile. She not only gave him a drink of water, but what did she do? She gave the camels a drink. She went the extra mile. She went the extra step. Generosity, generosity blesses those closest to the giver. The story continues on in the same verse. He also gave costly gifts to her mother and to uh, to her brother and her mother. See, it already just blesses her, but it blesses those that she's around. It gives clear testimony of a God thing in my life. It gives clear testimony. Back up to verse 50. This is from the Lord, and we can say nothing to you one one way or the other. It's a God thing. When we do something for the Lord, he gets blessed, and he blesses it back on us. We get under the window, and he pours out the blessings on us. Folks, this is not help, happiness, and prosperity teaching. This is not name it and claim it teaching, folks. This is strictly Bible teaching. Folks, the reason why we don't give is because we are in control and God's not in control of our lives. He's not in control of our lives. We receive more than we ever thought possible. Generosity blesses those close to the giver. And finally, this impacts the generosity. The impact of our generosity will outline, not outlive, but outline us and they blessed Rebecca and said our sister may your you increase to thousands upon thousands and may your offsprings possess the gates 
of their enemies. You say, outlines our life. What does that mean? When we're all said, dead, and gone, when they stand before you in that coffin and they present you and your service and that celebration at that funeral day, what are they going to say? Are they going to say, wow, he, was a, he just outlived, he just gave and gave and gave? Folks, let me tell you something. One of the greatest things that we can do, and I pray that at the time that we can set it up in our own life, that we can outlive our own life. We, our, 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 our ministry will look and continue to give on. We are in the process right now. Debbie and I are in the process right now of setting some things up in, 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 that will continue on to bless those that we have been a part of because we want to see God's glory be made known among the nations. Many of you in this room have already done that. You, you've looked at your retirement pack. You've looked at what you can do for kingdom long after you're dead and gone. The impact of our generosity will outline us. When we give, we become impact players. We become people of submission. We become a person of prayer. Prayer becomes a priority in our life. Purpose becomes the ministry that we are driven to. And we become a person of pure worship, not just a Sunday, but daily worship. We're involved in missional opportunities here and around the world. We become a person of focus. We keep our eye and our heart on the main thing. We become a person of completion. We finish the race until the end. We run with a race that is set before us keeping our eyes completely fixed upon Jesus it's not about us it's all about him and him being glorified I don't know where Arnold Palmer's walk with the Lord was I didn't know him personally I just knew him as a professional golfer he was an amazing golfer won a lot of tournaments won a lot of majors but not only that he shaped he shaped what professional golf really is today. He really elevated the professional golfer to the ranks of stardom, to be honest with you. Not only did he do that for his fellow uh, competitors, he helped them, but he also has done so much for so many. I read many a tweet and people were tweeting about Arnold Palmer when he passed away and people talked about him giving so that their child could go to a hospital. He ended up building a hospital in Orlando for those who can't go, can't pay, they get to go there. And folks, let me tell you something. I don't know. I'll never build a hospital. I doubt it. I'll never have that kind of stardom, nor do I want it, nor do I seek it. But I do pray that my life is impactful in such a way And I pray that we as a church will be impactful in such a way that it will outline who we are. When I came to Fairburn, one of the things that I asked around the community, tell me what you know about First Baptist Fairburn collectively. And they said some things that I thought were kind of not true. They said some things that, that I thought were ridiculous. But one of the things that they said that I just locked into, First Baptist Fairburn is such a generous bunch of people. Every time, I, every time I've, I've heard about the giving 
our food pantry and the food that we give away and other things. The boxes that have left out of here to, to give Christmas, children, Christmas gift to children is staggering. For the size congregation, we are a giving congregation. Amen? Why don't we make that commitment today and say, you know, not only the special opportunities that we have, but let's be about every week consistently getting under the windows bringing our whole tithe into the storehouse and getting under the windows and watching God continue to bless us. We are a blessed bunch of people, are we not? If you've ever traveled anywhere anywhere outside the intercontinental United States, we are amazingly blessed. Can we not take the blessings that we've been afforded and give those back for the spread of the gospel around the world.